0: What is it like growing up in the Kingston Polygamy Group? We're going to talk about that next on Polygamy What Love Is This? Many books have been published in the past few years that have dealt with the stories of people who have managed to escape the abuse and the violence of contemporary Mormon polygamy groups. Most of the books have been written by people from the FLDS, which of course is Warren Jeff's group. And then there's just a scattered few who have written from different groups. And then of course there's been other books that have been written that tell stories of people from various groups, um, revealing the horrid and the hellish abuse that polygamy groups are notorious for heaping upon their members. It's good that many stories are being made public, and we hope escapees continue to write their stories and publish them in books. But until now, there have been no books written by former members from the Kingston polygamy group detailing life growing up in that particular group today we have as a special guest the author of the first book written as a first-hand account and not holding back on any ugly details of life in the kingston polygamy group so to get on with this i would like to welcome and introduce the author of this book entitled the leader's daughter nicole Muffy.
1: Thank you, Doris. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, well, thank you for coming. Thank you for agreeing to come and, and verbalize much of the story that you've written. Where can they find your book?
1: Um, it's available on Amazon, um, paperback or ebook, And paperback. we're hoping to do an audio soon.
0: Oh, good. That's yeah. good. And of course, this is the paperback. As soon as I heard it was out, I ordered it from Amazon <laughs> Thank and, you. and I've read it all the way through. And then, of course, contacted you. And thanks for agreeing to come on and share your story. Can, you. can readers, our viewers, get a hold of you in uh, in any ways? Do you have contact information?
1: Yeah, I actually have my email address at the end. And I love emails. I love feedback. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and
0: that would be Maffi 75 at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, not only were you born and raised in the Kingston group, you were one of the dozens of daughters of the leader, Paul Kingston. Yes, mm-hmm. and that's why it's called the leader's daughter, because he's the leader of the group, the prophet, one and, and only and daughter. <laughs> did you did that give you special prestige growing up to be the the leader's daughter? Or did it uh, did it seem to heap more burden on you because of your parentage?
1: Um, Well, I felt like it was more of a burden. In fact, I even go into the book where I I didn't know he was my dad until I was about six years old. Mm -hmm. And so when I found out he was my dad, then I knew that I had originally, or let me back up. So I'd originally had like this vision of someday meeting my real father and he was going to come back and he was going to love me and we're going to have this amazing relationship. And then when I found out who my dad actually was, then I knew that any chance of having that kind of relationship was going to be gone Mm -hmm. because he has too many kids. He has too much responsibility. We always knew that that we were just not important to him. And I mean, it took it was two hours before we could even see him Mm. sometimes. Like it was just.
0: Yeah. yeah, okay.
1: It was okay. a sad day. <laughs> so, it, so it
0: wasn't a great prestige then to be the leader's daughter.
1: <laughs> I didn't feel like it was. I know that a lot of his kids did feel differently because they, they thought that they were better than everybody. But to me, then I just was kind of heartbroken about
0: Margarita. it. I want to read what you have written on the back cover, and we'll put this up on the screen as well. But it says At the age of 17, I decided to leave the polygamous cult I was born and raised in to embark on my journey of freedom. My story follows this journey from the beginning, stopping along the way to explain the culture in a way that has never been done, to the end where I finally find healing and begin to develop a sense of normalcy after my trauma. That's a journey. It is it was a journey. Is a journey. <laughs> we, when we leave, when we all leave, we all have our own journey, and they all take us different places. And, yeah. and, and so it takes courage for you to put this journey in the book and share it, reliving memories, some of them not very fun, some of them quite painful. Why did you decide to write the book and what do you want to accomplish by having written it? When
1: when I first sat down and decided to do a book, it was about 10 years ago. And I originally wanted the story to be of a, be of a therapy to me. And I wanted to That was originally why I ended up writing the book, is because it was a therapy for me to kind of get it all out, to be able to put it in a narrative and just remember the experiences and kind of let them go a little bit.
0: Yeah.
1: And then, when, and then about five years ago, then I actually decided that I was gonna publish it because I knew that there are a lot of other victims that are in this in similar situations and not just from polygamy right. and so right. I wanted to I wanted to reach out to all victims and kinda of show them that you know there is light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. if you keep going there is something that, good that can come out of it
0: mm-hmm. good good well we we do hope and pray that you have accomplished and that you do this book does accomplish what it needs to Thank you. Um, by the way, Nicole was on our show um, about five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and the link is on the screen if you want to go back there and watch it after we're done with this one. Or you can go to our website, TV. click on the year 2013 and scroll down to episode 6.21. And so that that uh, interview was, was
1: not too long after you actually left permanently, was it? No, it was actually um, probably... It was about three years after I left.
0: And, so. and, and you're still going through a lot of turmoil inside. <laughs> uh, I know it takes a while to, yeah, to yes. do that. Yes, um, now, I know the book has been released only a few weeks, not a month, right? That, yeah, that about a month. Doing this? And this is a delayed show, so it's going to be a few weeks before this sh- show is, is um, released. And so just for our viewers to know, um, it's only been out a month at this
1: point. Have you had mm. good response? Um, I've had a lot of good feedback so far. Everybody has been so, so amazing and so supportive. And I've just, I've loved hearing everybody's feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, my, obviously people that are still in the community have not had the same positive feedback. Oh, obviously, I <laughs> so that. yeah. My mom is very upset with me for yeah. writing the book and for putting it out there. And she feels like I've tried to demonize her, mm-hmm. which I don't feel like I did. And when I originally wrote the book, it wasn't, for the purpose of hurting her in any way. It was just to put the story out there and Mm -hmm. to, and I know that she made some mistakes and I have come to the point where I have forgiven her. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like, I don't feel like I've demonized her in any way. And if I have, then that was not my intention. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, good. What about uh, your siblings? Any of those uh, shunning you or anything because of it or?
1: Um, I think more than anything, the ones that have read it, it's more re-traumatized them. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of, I know that, in fact, a lot of people that have left the community or left the cult and have reached out to me about it and have read it, I've found that they, it brings up a lot of old things for them, a lot of old traumas, a lot of old memories that they've maybe forgotten about. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they'll they'll read things about it and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I remember that. Mm -hmm. And it'll kind of, And I know that it brings up a little bit of a sad feeling. Some of it and I hope that I put the positive in there as well as the... You did. As I well as the negative. Uh, yeah. I mean, there wasn't a lot of positive to put in there. so I understand that. But truth
0: needs to be told. Whether exactly. it's positive or negative, it needs to be told. Exactly. And I think you did a very good balancing act with it, extremely. I was amazed. It's a very emotional story. And, and it was quite touching to me because I've been there. Yeah. I was raised in it. I wasn't the leader's daughter, so I didn't have that. But I saw the abuse. I was abused. Me, uh, My siblings and I were horribly physically abused abused. And we were neglected and guilt-tripped and shamed and demeaned and threatened with every curse that God could ever throw upon us. I mean, I I understand. And so I kind of got into your shoes a little bit um but let's let's start where you started of course your early childhood yeah (laughs) Uh, where are you in the birth order of your mother's children I'm the oldest of 11 oldest of 11 children yes okay
1: by my mother not my father okay well that's my next question (laughs) where are you in the birth order of your father's children or do you even know I honestly I don't know I so his family is kinda separated you have the older kids the middle kids and the younger kids Mm -hmm. and I'm somewhere in the middle older kids, (laughs) middle of the older kids.
0: (laughs) Okay, now Paul has um, 30 plus wives, right? He has 27. 27 wives, okay. Mm -hmm. And how many children?
1: Last count. Last count. I counted when I was about 14, and he had 175.
0: And that was when you were 14.
1: That was when I was 14. So that was about 25 years ago. Yeah.
0: And the last count I heard was over 200. 15 years.
1: Yeah. So that. Yeah. So my count was about 15 years ago.
0: Yeah.
1: To correct myself. Okay.
0: So So your mother gave all her children at home, or gave birth to all of her children at home. Yep. And who was the midwife? Who would the baby? Uh, usually it was just Paul. Paul, Paul delivered the babies. Mm-hmm. So does Paul have a midwife license? Is he a, a licensed doctor? No. <laughs> does he get to
1: do this legally? Uh, no, there's. <laughs> it's not illegal. No, no, no okay. there's nothing legal about
0: it. <laughs> what about uh, when there's an emergency? He has all these home births and he delivers the children and he doesn't have any medical. Does he allow them to get medical emergency medical attention if there's a need?
1: Not usually. Um, so it depends on who it is it depends on whether they're the favorite or not yeah it depends on um i've i know of a lot of home births that have gone really poorly and the babies ended up dying um i also know a couple of them that they were told not to go to the hospital and they ended up doing it anyways and i as far as i know there weren't any serious repercussions for them Mm -hmm. so they are strongly discouraged from going to a doctor now they have their own doctors now Mm mmm and so it's a little bit different now back when I was born they didn't have that right so if I mean if a baby was born at that time period and they went, then they were in trouble then a lot of times they would just die Mm -hmm. now they'll call the midwives that they actually do have midwife licenses Mm -hmm. nowadays Mm -hmm.
0: okay Well, um, that's kind of bothersome, especially when there are those that die and they Mm -hmm. have to suffer or other things, problems, because of this. Mm -hmm. You wrote uh, On page 12, you wrote that after your mother had her fourth child, she could no longer afford child care, and so she got another job. So now she's working two jobs. Do the men not? does, Does Paul, the leader, not support his wives and kids?
1: Um... No. In fact, the only support that we ever got is for Christmas. Every year we get a box of oranges and a bag of oats. And sometimes we get hamburger if it's a good year for Washakie. A
0: bag of oats. <laughs> just like a little horse. Huh? Oh, yeah, well, I remember the oats too. So what about the financial support for any of the mothers? The, the fathers just don't provide that, right?
1: No. In fact, um, the only thing that... So the only ways that a father, the fathers actually contribute in any way is they'll usually own the houses, but they'll require the wives to pay rent.
0: And we're going to talk about that yeah. in a little <laughs> bit later. I've got a, <laughs> got a quote on that one. In fact, uh, you wrote on page 15 about the food budget that I would mm. like you to read your quote, if you would do that, please.
1: While we enjoyed, <clears throat> excuse me, while we enjoyed wake foods at my mother's home, my grandmother's home was a different story. Most of our food came from the garbage my grandfather picked up from the animals on, for the animals on the farm. Rarely did we ever have any food that had not expired or that we were not cutting the moldy parts off melons and cantaloupes. Cheese was rare at my mother's house because it was so expensive, but at my grandmother's house, they found huge bricks of it in the garbage. Once the mold was cut off, it actually tasted great.
0: Now, <laughs> you know, a lot of people that are watching this go, ew, eating garbage, moldy cheese. Did you know it was not normal to scrounge for food from the dumpsters? No. You didn't know that wasn't normal?
1: No. In fact, I remember watching, um, I think Paul's eighth wife was babysitting us at one time and she was just cutting, like, there was just mold all over the cantaloupe and everything and she just cut off and she's like, look, it's awesome. Uh I'm like, okay, that's what we eat, I guess. (laughs) We'll we'll go with that.
0: (laughs) So, all the Kingston, and that's true with cheese, if you have a thick enough thing that's true with cheese. Mm -hmm. Were were all the polygamous families in the Kingston group living in this poverty?
1: Most of them, in fact, they're the first and second wives, the first and the pretty wives, I'm going to say, the first and the pretty wives, they usually got a little bit better, but eating out of the garbage was, an every everybody did that. Everybody did that to save money. To save money because they didn't have any money.
0: <laughs> and, and that's one of the, the control mm-hmm. um, the, the controls that the group has on the people is we don't have money. That mm-hmm. They have on the people we don't have the money so you can't spend it if we don't have it and uh, we need to save every penny we can so no need
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Unless you can
0: get your food from the garbage right so what kind of a diet are the people in the Kingston group required to maintain and and tell us about the cleansing routines and the various diets to clear up health problems
1: that may arise so with so the typical diet is oats and raisins for breakfast oats, <laughs> oats and, and raisins, raisins and milk now for this breakfast. is raw
0: oats not cooked
1: oats. yes absolutely and then for lunch usually it's whatever so it depends on how your mom cooks if your mom knows how to cook with oats and potatoes and beans then you're good but we didn't we rarely had hamburger in most of the families my mom did a little bit more with the meat i know that most of daniel's family didn't really have meat period um we Mm. did we had the oats pretty much oats beans and rice Mm. and whatever you could scrounge up to flavor it with
0: (laughs) and 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 the kingston group is worth about a billion dollars something like that yeah how much of a important importance does diet play in the rules of the king? In other words, um, the Word of Wisdom. Did you follow mm-hmm. the Word of Wisdom real closely? Did they take it further than Joseph Smith even had written?
1: Yeah, they took it a lot further than Joseph Smith. So the Word of Wisdom states that you can't have any hot beverage, which indicates coffee and tea, um, no tobacco, which indicates smoking, no alcoholic beverage, um, kind of the, the th- same things that the Mormon church mm-hmm. practices as well. But they did take it to the point where sugar is bad. Why Mm -hmm. sugar is bad. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. In fact, we started. Most people use honey, Mm -hmm. and then they got this great idea that sucanut wasn't the same thing as sugar. And so some of the moms started using sucanut, but then that got banned. So (laughs) (laughs) funny how (laughs) how God changes so much. Right? (laughs) Yeah. So it was just i mean it, it's just silly and that's how it
0: was when i was there still that was a oh. lot of years ago but there mm-hmm. were no sugar no mayonnaise white no white flour yeah. uh, no salt my mom wouldn't salt anything oh that's horrible and that was horrible oh yeah, <laughs> yeah i'd go to my neighbor's house and pick crumbs up off the <laughs> was so good.
1: just
0: salt in it uh, now on page 21 you wrote about the first time that you were sexually molested Mm-hmm. Explain what happened and how old you were, and what relationship to you your molester was.
1: <clears throat> so, the first time um, I was six years old, it was um, so I was six years old, I was with one of my friends, and we had she used to get babysat at my house by one of my aunts who was also only a teenager, I think she was 14 or 15 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my friend and i we went back to my friend's house she lived close to me and we were in we were just playing being kids we would sneak out because our babysitter was a teenager and didn't know how to handle kids and she would tie us up in the bathrooms and she would i mean she would beat us she Mm. would lock us outside she would lock us in our bedrooms i mean it was just it was terrifying
0: nightmare
1: yeah so we so we had snuck out um we were so we were playing, and these boys climbed in the window, and they were they came in and they they raped my friend, and they used objects on me. I was only six years old, and they weren't. I wasn't big enough for them to insert themselves. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know how much mm-hmm. to go into this, but. Um, later, actually, since my book has come out, I've recently found out that the, so it was one of Daniel's wives that walked in on the situation. Mm -hmm. I've recently found out that she knew about it the whole time and never told my mom. She tried to tell Daniel and the girl's mom, but they told her that she was lying Mm. and they, and it, it never got to my mom, which for me, I feel like I've kind of punished my mom for that for a a number of years and so that was one, actually one thing for me that I was able to forgive my mom for because she really didn't know.
0: And you thought she did. And I
1: thought that she did. did.
0: Uh, Were were your molesters uh, related to you?
1: Yeah, they were all from the church, from the order. And so they were what, cousins, half brothers? Um, I, I believe they were first or, first or second cousins. I haven't done the I haven't done the family tree on that one yet. Well, you, how can you do a family tree with those guys? My word, uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, and and I know this is a tough subject, but you said you're wide open for for anything, and it is in your book. So mm-hmm. later, you were molested and raped several more times. Mm-hmm. Were your molesters always your relatives?
1: Yes, until I was 18 and I left. And because I had been abused so many times, I didn't know how to, I didn't know what abuse meant. I didn't know, like, I mean, this is something, so it happens all throughout your life. And then all of a sudden you're 18 and you're supposed to know that this is wrong, that Mm -hmm. this is abuse. And that wasn't, I mean, that's not the way it works. That's
0: not the way it works in the Kingston group.
1: Yeah, so Mm -hmm. I was actually raped again when I was 18 by a friend of mine because i didn't know
0: and you didn't even know it was i did right no, until someone else said that did you know that was yeah. that was right exactly and so, no adult knew except one of Daniel's wives. And, and let's clarify who Daniel is, maybe for our viewers who don't know. Daniel is the brother to your father. Yes. So, he's your uncle. Mm hmm. And, and they're both Kingston's. Yes. Both Kingston men. Okay. Mm-hmm. You write on page 41 that you didn't understand about polygamy until one of your mother's sister wives moved into your home and told you. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you were first introduced to? polygamy and what was your response what was your reaction did you even get it at that young age no in fact
1: I think my dad tried to explain it to me when I was when I found out who my dad was I really think that that was what he was was trying and that was six years old yeah
0: that's real young
1: that is really young (laughs) and that's probably why I didn't get it
0: (laughs) no I was 10 before I
1: found out (laughs) oh wow yeah yeah Yeah, in fact the only reason I found out is because one of my half sisters like says you know my dad's Paul and so is your dad And I was like, no, (laughs) I don't think that's right. (laughs) Uh,
0: That's what my brother told me. Yeah. "Yeah, Your father, our father is blank. And I said, nah.
1: (laughs) He's a terrible person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I have another quote I'd like for you to read from your book that you wrote on pages 42 and 43.
1: In the polygamy I knew, your sister wives are not your friends. They are your competition. Your siblings from other mothers are not your friends. They are also your competition. The first wife is automatically one of the favorite wives. She was married first and will always have the title of legal wife except in very rare circumstances. This gives her more power. She has more access to his schedule, more time with him because she has the most power over the family. The husband is the head of family and the first wife is like his right hand. Sex is used as currency. If your husband wants to have sex with you, it grants you more privileges. Favorite wives do things for their husbands sexually to please them. Favorite wives go on more trips with their husband, have nicer houses, have more nights with their husband, and those nights are less interrupted by other issues. Favorite wives have a higher priority than non-favorite wives.
0: Now, you heard this from your one of your father's wives. You heard this mm-hmm. from them. You know, there are people from, especially men, from polygamy groups and even and women who support it that deny that this is true, that deny any favoritism takes place. What mm. do you have to say to them?
1: I don't think that's possible. Knowing, like, as a human being, there's no way. That I mean, there's no way.
0: If the woman <laughs> knows how to manipulate her sexuality to your husband, mm-hmm. and obviously that's what they're learning to do, there has to be favorites.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There has to be. I completely agree.
0: And they know how to do that, obviously they do. Mm-hmm. And so you saw your father show favoritism to his wives? Yes. Was your mother one of his mm-hmm. favorite
1: wives? for for some reason she was and i'm like and i'm not this probably sounds horrible i'm she's, i think she's a beautiful woman i think that she i think she's a sweet person she but she i think she was the favorite because she knew how to play the game mm-hmm. and she knew how to play on that passive passive housewife mm-hmm. that i think that made her one of the favorite wives mm-hmm. and i don't think she was the very favorite. But I think she was one of the more favorited wives.
0: Okay, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on, something that you wrote in your book. Over and over in the book, I read that when problems were ever taken to Paul, family problems were ever taken to him, they were never treated as something that he could fix or was willing to fix. Instead, mm-hmm. uh, the woman was berated and demeaned because it was her fault. She didn't fix it. She couldn't fix it. It was her fault that it happened, mm-hmm. uh, something she failed to do or did wrong. It sounds like women are always to blame for every problem that came up. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that just accrue into unjustified guilt and unearned shame and, and, and cause more chaos and anger within the family unit? Did you
1: Do you see that as as being a cause? I do. In fact, I think my dad, in fact, I've seen, I've seen my dad's family and then I've seen other families that may not be, not may not have the same level of turmoil. And I found that my dad would actually, I think he enjoyed that game. I think he enjoyed having the wives fight over him. I think he enjoyed the attention from them. <laughs> and. I mean why else like he because he could have solved those problems he could have said okay let's do this fair let's uh, i'm going to spread my time fairly among all the wives like it's not going to be a jealous thing he really could have had that say in it mm-hmm. i mean he's the mm-hmm. husband he's the head yeah. of the household and he's the head of the group exactly so whatever he said would be the rule right so i feel like he could have done something he just chose not to he just chose not i to. think he really enjoyed the game mm-hmm. i think he really enjoyed it that's sad right.
0: that's yeah. sad um, you made a remark I thought was very interesting on page 52 you said after a particular abusive incident you said abuse doesn't teach kids to be good people it instills fear and once I got over that fear there was nothing to stop me from making the same mistake <laughs> I thought well <laughs> that's a different way of looking at it what mistakes did you continue to repeat <laughs> over and over once the fear was gone and how old were you when you came up with this philosophy
1: well, so my dad, he beat me pretty severely when I was six years old. Um, it was a piece of a bed or a utility. Sh- I don't even know what it was a piece of. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, he beat me with it. And it did it instilled, it did instill the fear. But then I kind of learned how to play that fear. Uh-huh. And a lot of that was talking about shoplifting. In fact, I had a very severe problem with shoplifting when I was between the ages of, I think, 6 and 10. And I learned that that was how you get things. Uh-huh. We didn't have money. Well, you there didn't was, get things yeah. if you didn't, right? Exactly. So that would be your thinking. And I think, I mean, we were in such, we were so poor that we, that was the only way to eat. Mm-hmm. And so when I, like, it felt like, my dad was trying to teach me one thing, on, honesty, and don't steal, and this is a wrong thing to do. And then he was putting us in a situation where we had to do we that. We had to do it. Yeah, and so it was, it was so confusing. Mm-hmm.
0: Very I, confusing. How old were you when you decided that you didn't have fear, that fear, any longer? You got over the fear.
1: I, I don't think that the fear went away. I think it just was replaced more with anger. Mm. and i think mm-hmm. that in fact i think that that was kind of how i cha- like how i dealt with that that fear is it turned into anger towards my dad towards my mom towards everybody and that anger grew and i think i i think it started when i was about 6 years old to when to when i was an adult when i was about 18 years old and i finally that was a lot of the reason that i s- decided to leave is mm-hmm. because I was so angry with everything that had happened. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so. the anger just it gets in, in, in. I did. I buried my anger and buried it and buried it and buried it. I didn't even know it was there until yeah. many years later. Well, Nicole, there's a whole much more to talk to. So we're going to do a second part on this. And okay. so we will end right here. And next time we're going to s- open up and start with the Kingston Private School okay. that you write about. <laughs> Um, so we'll finish our interview next time with Nicole, in part two, as we finish talking about her book. And uh, You can get her book on Amazon.com, uh, either paperback or on Kindle. And we urge you to buy the book if you're interested in reading her story coming out of the Kingston Group. And so we'll see you next time. Be sure and watch. Thank you. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by a Shield and Refuge ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.